With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. What up? It's the Crossover Pod, Friday edition. I'm Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. What a weird opening week of training camps we've had in the NBA. Got anti-vaxxers dominating media day, Zion Williamson with a surprise off-season foot surgery, and then there's the Sixers. Ben Simmons still a holdout as of this taping, still waiting for a trade, apparently willing to sacrifice millions of dollars rather than just show up and play. There's no modern precedent for it. And so the Sixers, who had the best record in the East last season, have a serious problem. Joel Embiid is in his prime. He was second in MVP balloting last season, and this team should be a contender. With Simmons, they plausibly are. But without him, it's really hard to see. And now it all, of course, just depends on what kind of return they can get in a trade, which is why Daryl Morey isn't rushing it and really can't rush it. Here to help me sort all of this mess out are two experts in all things Sixers. Jake Fisher, he is the author, of course, of Built to Lose, which chronicled the tanking era and the Sixers' prominent role in it. You can also find Jake's work at Bleacher Report. Jerome Weitzman, who wrote the definitive book on the process called Tanking to the Top. You can find his work on foxsports.com. And by the way, you should buy both of those books if you don't have them already. Before we get to that, a reminder, please subscribe, rate, and review The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. We are also on YouTube. Search Sports Illustrated Podcasts. That channel has The Crossover Pod, The Open Floor Pod, and all the other great SI podcasts. Go check it out. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. 
Okay, sorting out the Sixers mess, and boy, what a mess it is, with your own Weitzman and Jake Fisher. That's coming up, so stick around. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Now, very pleased to be joined by two excellent NBA reporters and friends, your own Weitzman and Jake Fisher. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for not holding out or sitting out or otherwise uh, just boycotting just just because. Uh, Thank you for not being Ben Simmons, I guess is what I'm saying. I like that. It's always good when the podcast can start with some uh, topical humor based on the uh, subject at hand. That's good. Good job, Howard. Uh, Thank you. I worked for hours, (laughs) literally hours on that, your own. Um, I I needed you both here today because uh, this has been Ben Simmons week in the NBA. Well, it's really Ben Simmons slash uh, vaccination week or anti-vaccination or I want my privacy week or something in the NBA. Personal Um, reasons. Personal reasons. Personal reasons. Please respect my privacy. Uh, never mind that it's a you know international global pandemic in which everybody's individual decisions can affect negatively the people around them. But we digress. Um, we'll leave vaccinations and d- pandemics for another day. But Ben Simmons is the biggest, I think, NBA basketball story of the week. Both of you have written extensively, of course, uh, both in book form and uh, for your uh, respective media outlets on the Sixers. uh, You're as plugged in as as anybody around. So I wanted to convene a meeting of these Sixer minds here. Um, (laughs) Before we jump into Ben Simmons, though, and and where things stand for the Sixers now, I I wanted to start with this. (laughs) Because every time something starts to come undone with Philly... If they lose in the first round, if there's a controversy, if anything, it's immediately like, ah, see, the process was a failure. And you both wrote in your books extensively, extensively on the whole point of the process, the process of the process. Um, So let me just throw out this. Um, I know Sam Hinkie isn't dead. I'm glad Sam Hinkie's (laughs) alive. But if he were, would Sam be spinning in his grave right now over what's become of his beloved process and the results that it had produced, which was, in fact two superstars who you could build a contender around and it's now on the rocks. Go ahead, Jake. I I think, well, first of all, thanks for having us. Um, I think Sam's been rolling his proverbial grave for a long time here. I don't think this is just started this summer. I think, you know, you go back to um, uh, his, his, not predecessor with the, with the opposite of press, his successor Successor, um, (laughs) with, with the large collars and, I mean, I think we're, I mean, Joel's rant yesterday after practice about Jimmy Butler and Al Horford, like those are reflections on the previous front office, right? Not this Daryl Morey regime and Elton Brand's record has kind of been a bit stained, at least by Philly fans. And I think some people around the NBA um, for those years, but talking to people around the situation and your own certainly knows this too. Like there was a lot of influence from ownership figures in a lot of those moves to, to, to put in that extra pick to go get Tobias Harris, to, to go all in and get Jimmy Butler. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately, the, the, the dichotomy with what Sam was trying to do and the, and the way the NBA media machine and fans think, obviously that process versus results cliche, you know, I, I think 
teams and outside um, observers had been kind of building to this moment for years, right? This Ben versus Joel, will they, won't they work versus the Daryl Morey, Sam Hankey school of thought of just get stars together and have it work out. But that critical element of getting stars together is then surrounding them by supplementary talent. And that's been the biggest issue here all along from my perspective. And I think, um, you know, it was a little too, too little too late last year when they finally had a full lineup of shooters and, um, you know, the offense clearly diverged from the Brett Brown, you know, spacing and worrying uh, options that they had off of those DHOs with Jimmy and JJ Redick and what have you. And I think, you know, it's just the process has been bastardized to a certain extent over, over the last couple of years to the point where I don't even know if this question, you know, is relevant anymore. I don't, not, not, not to spin it back in your face. I think it's unfortunate. I, I wish it was, but this is just like the nth degree different variation of, of since Sam Hankey got pushed out back in April, 2016. See the only, I disagree. I don't fully disagree. This is, we can go debate show. I like this. Um, <laughs> Howard, I feel like you're the, um, we have the boxes now. I feel like you're the moderator. I'm like skip or someone. Maybe Jake, you can be, can be Shannon or Stephen A or Max. Um, I want okay, a mute so, button. Can I get it? Can I be a like Tony Real? Can I get a mute button just in case? Exactly. I'm not giving uh, either of you points though. Forget it. Go. <laughs> Um, no, so, okay. So yeah, I, the, the idea that they have no more assets left really. And like, that's the part to me, that's a little nutty. If you think about what the war chest was, I don't, know, maybe Jake knows it by heart. I, I do not what it was left. <laughs> like, you know, what I wrote in the book, like what Sam Hinkie left it with, I would have to look it up and it would take like 10 minutes of fact checking, right. To make sure you got every second round pick and first round pick and all that stuff. Correct. Um, the only thing I'll say is Sam Hinkie came out of his proverbial grave last year. When Daryl Morey got hired, he was all excited. He he did a podcast with Pablo Torre. You know, he um, mm-hmm. he's, he's basically what's the equivalent of Pablo and Sam? There's like a uh, I don't know what there's like a there's a politic or a politics equivalent or something. You know the. Uh, the one writer, the one media guy who speaks to the uh, reclusive yeah. leader. I, I can't figure Greg, out what it Greg is. Greg Popovich and, and Dave Zarin, Zarin, however you pronounce well, it. That's actually, that's actually not bad. I, I was thinking more <laughs> mainstream. That's not that, that's that's a little niche, but that's not bad. Um, yeah. Sam Hickey came out of his proverbial grave to celebrate the hiring of Daryl Morey. And, and maybe we can get to this later. I think Morey probably can deserve, take a little criticism for how this situation has played out. So in terms of the continuation of the process, I don't know. I just like would Sam Hinkie be upset. I'd be very curious actually you know how Sam Hinkie would handle a holdout like this. Um, in terms of, yeah. So in terms of having no more assets left for sure. The other part is like some of the mistakes came from just managing superstars. And this is something we never saw Sam Hinkie have to do. Like the rebuild is the easy part. It's then getting to the next part. So we can make fun of Brian Colangelo all we want, but and Elton Brand, all you want, but one, the Markel Fultz thing—you can't ignore how big of a difference things would, be, how different things would be if that had played out. I'll just say, like, if that had played out the way ninety-eight percent of NBA evaluators thought that that would play out. Basically, if Markel Fultz is the player that everybody except maybe Danny Ainge thought he would be, <laughs> everything is different. And the Jimmy Butler trade, like, they, they gave up nothing for him. They gave up Jared yeah. Bayless, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, like a second-round pick, maybe. Um, that was a phenomenal trade. Yeah, so that was a good trade. The problem was not bringing Jimmy back, but not bringing Jimmy back was more of a managing superstar, and I'm sure we'll get into this, and that was more of a managing superstar egos um, problem as opposed to a roster management problem, which is a whole separate 
uh, set of difficulties that Sam Hinkie never had to deal with. So it to go full circle. Yeah, there were a lot of mistakes. They gave away a lot. And the fact that they have nothing left is probably the issue here, that they have no flexibility. But I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I'll bring it up. Like Sam Hinkie loves Daryl Morey. We know that. So <laughs> Daryl's yes. an investor in Sam Hinkie's venture capital fund. Of course like, he is. Still super close. And uh, I mean, I, I, I think... I, I, I don't want to speak for Sam, but I, I, I'm sure there's no executive he'd rather have, you know, shepherding the prime of Joel Embiid's career. But yeah, I, I think one big criticism of Daryl throughout his executive tenure is even more so than, than and Sam got labeled as someone who viewed players as assets and widgets and all that type of stuff. Yeah, Daryl's more than that. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, Daryl's even. I think I used the nth degree expression earlier, but Daryl's even that to the nth degree, right? And I think it it, it streamlines not just the players, but with, um, you know, basketball personnel staffers, video coordinators, their G League coaches, like back in Houston. I, I think, um, that that's also been a, a big key element here. If you want to relate it back to Sam, you know, the guy who he kind of learned this, you know trying to use the CBA and the salary cap to extract every little ounce and every drop of, um, you know, just ability to, or competitive advantage against your, your competitors and, and, and filling out that 15 to 17 man roster to maximize the championship. Daryl's, you know, even more so, I think, quote unquote, guilty of, of viewing these guys as contracts and, and not caring about the chemistry aspect too, which I think is a pretty interesting element to, you know, looking at it today versus where we were back in, you know, Sam's tenure. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. To the extent that the um, the Sixers are in crisis right now, I would say it is the um, accumulation of a bunch of things that both of you guys just hit on. It's years of mistakes and various decisions. Not all of them are even mistakes. They're just some decisions, like you say with Markel Fultz, most of the league, as your own points out, would have taken him number one. It didn't work out. How much of that is the Sixers' fault? Is it a development issue? Is it a Markel Fultz issue? Is it just a, a misassessment uh, of talent? But the where they are now is the accumulation of a bunch of decisions by a bunch of administrations. Daryl and Doc have been there only for a year. I don't, like a lot of this has been put on like, well, if Doc hadn't said these things after game seven, you know, uh, after they lost, and if Daryl hadn't said, or if Embiid hadn't, I'm not sure it's about that. I think it's about everything else you guys just said. You are right though. Like I, I like Daryl before Sam Hinkie, Daryl kind of pioneered um, the idea of, of managing an NBA roster in terms of assets and flipping players for better stuff or more flexibility or, or more toys to use down the road. And Hickey took it maybe to, to an all new extreme. So they are, I think very much of the same mind in that regard for better or worse. And, and people are free to criticize. I would just say that um, we'll, we'll leave the process as a concept behind after this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it will weave its way back in, but like where they are isn't a failure of the process per se. The point of the process is people need to be reminded all the time was to be bad enough long enough to get enough bites at the apple that you got a couple of franchise stars. They did. They misfired on Okafor. Yes, they misfired on Nerlens Noel and Markel Fultz, which was, of course, post-Sam Hinkie anyway. But Sam Hinkie got them in beat and put them in position for Colangelo the Den draft Simmons. They got their two stars. They got two top 15 players. That was the point of the process. The process worked, period. Um, all those misfires aside... Since 2017-18, which was Ben Simmons' first healthy year, the first year he actually played, since that year, the Sixers are third in wins in the NBA behind Milwaukee and Toronto. Uh, Milwaukee 206, Toronto 197, Sixers 195. And they had the best record in the East last season in the regular season. So the process was a success in the abstract. It's the details that, of course, ultimately matter, and which is mm-hmm. why we are where we are, I guess. Um, so something you guys both mentioned and this gets to a lot of the deep reporting you guys have both done for your books and, and since your books, is that this is a team that was built around these two stars, and then these stars were empowered, I would say, to use uh, Jake's term from a few minutes ago, to the nth degree. <laughs> ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have an immense amount of influence in this on this franchise. Um, but Embiid yesterday put this more on, on Simmons for where, where Simmons' uh, fate ended up, which is he says, our teams have been built around his needs. This is Embiid talking about Ben Simmons. Our team's been built around his needs. Um, Even going back to the reason we signed Al, meaning Al Horford, we got rid of Jimmy, which I think was a mistake, just to make sure that he, Ben Simmons, uh, had the ball in his hands. Um, That's pretty interesting and kind of damning. um, And I think it's the first time that anybody from that organization, player, front office, anybody, has been that specific about it. Uh, Guys, what did you think... I'll start with you, Jake. When you saw Joel jump in and and just decide to say, you know what, where we are right now, it's because we did 
we, we bent too far to trying to make a team that fit around Ben Simmons and his inability to shoot and his need to have the ball in his hands all the time. Um, I mean, I think my response to that or thoughts on it were more macro than micro being that I think it seems to be people in Philadelphia are kind of tired of the situation right now versus, you know, I, I, I wrote something at Bleacher Report in July. Like this what site? What site was that? <laughs> um, be nice, you know, a place that, have, that, has, that has at one point in time paid all of us, um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I don't think anything's really changed since the second week of summer league where he wants out. The Sixers want to trade him. They have been fielding offers from other teams, but there really hasn't been anything that's moved the needle being that the Sixers have this idea of moving him for a star, hoping Damian Lillard, hoping Bradley Beal. I'm sure Daryl Morey is hoping Kyrie Irving uh, wants to get out of Brooklyn. Uh, you know, like, their goal is to move him for something that is going to help maximize their title window with Joel Embiid's prime. They haven't had an offer yet. And the, the developments of the story have all happened through us, through the media. There's no, there, there really hasn't been much development behind the scenes in terms of trade call, in terms of evolving discussions with the Kings or the Pacers or the Timberwolves or San Antonio, like, as much as people wanted to use the Gerson Rosa, Sachin Gupta changing of the guard in Minnesota as uh, a pivot point for those trade negotiations, like the roster and assets haven't changed in Minnesota either. Like just because the, the GM or the, the leading voice in that front office now has changed, that doesn't change anything that, you know, D'Angelo Russell isn't really someone that the Wolves want to move to get Ben. And even if he is like this, this Russell Malik Beasley, whatever a couple picks package doesn't really do anything to move into the needle for Philly either. So I just read Joel's comments as kind of a reflection of what I think a lot of people in Philadelphia are hearing is like, or feeling is just like, are you going to keep coming out with stances, opinions, whatever, to kind of make the situation worse and kind of try to put more optical pressure on us to move you because we don't want to move you yet. The offers aren't good enough. Come back, come play for us, show you're better, get more value, and then we'll send you out the door that's kind of, I think, to me, that was my read on the Embiid quote. I don't know if your own thought differently. Um, well, I agree. I mean, we can talk about the, uh, the, you know, the staring contest, the game of chicken between Maury and Embiid and uh, Simmons. Because I have some other thoughts on that. In terms of Embiid's comments, a couple things. One, I would caution, and not necessarily in this case, the Al Horford thing is a good example. Um, Joel Embiid, we, we all enjoy him. He is not always the most reliable narrator about things, either in his life or in Sixers land. Um, and like I've talked about this before. I mean, I've dealt with this firsthand in terms of questioning things that I've written, like about Chick-fil-A sandwiches and things like that, right? Um, <laughs> so, for example, Al Horford, the Jimmy Butler thing, that was a Ben. I, I mean, we've that's been reported a lot. That was mostly, I would say, not mostly all of it. There were other factors, but Ben um, and wanting the ball to be in Ben's hands or Ben not liking that the fact that he was moved into the dunker spot in that Raptor series, that played a role. That wasn't the only part because I think there was feelings that if they brought Jimmy Butler back, they'd probably have to fire Brett Brown eventually and there'd be all these dominoes. But the Ben thing definitely played a role. Um what he was saying about Al Horford, I don't think is necessarily true. I mean, Al Horford didn't come in to be a stretch five. He was playing Joel as the five. It wasn't, you know, Horford was going to come in to be a really backup and relief to Joel for the idea being that Joel Embiid can only play 60 games a year or whatever it is. And then we have an elite center all the time. So that part mm -hmm. wasn't completely fair. I wouldn't put that all on 
uh, Ben. I think the idea that, you know, we can do second line, uh, second units with Simmons and Horford and stretch the floor a little bit. Like, yeah, but that part, again, I wouldn't say, um, I don't think that's fair to put that all on Ben, but I, I do think the overall point in terms that they've gone out of their way to build rosters around him is fair. I mean, which is, again, it's understandable. It's a shooting issue. And if in today's modern NBA, if one guy can't shoot or is unwilling to shoot and shoot now is even like, it used to be three pointers. Now it's just like literally take a shot. Um, <laughs> right. Like then you have to adjust your roster building around that. And I agree with Jake. I think it kind of shows that there's just frustration here. And I would say, in a way, maybe Embiid's comments were taken as a shot at Simmons, but I would also say I assume if you're Simmons camp and you saw that, you're probably happy because what you want is you want this all to become messy. You want flood the zone mm-hmm. with all this nonsense and this to become so messy that they just can't do this anymore and the chaos doesn't work and they have to trade Ben. So I imagine, and that report came from Sam Amick was really good. I don't, you know, you don't do the sports guessing, whatever, and all that stuff. Um, but I imagine when Simmons' camp is sitting back and sees that comments, yeah, maybe Ben's taking it at picking it as a shot but this is also you know a step further or a step closer to them accomplishing their goals i would say yeah and, and one thing to Embiid's credit i think the jimmy butler dynamic underscores another issue too where the sixers have been so concerned and so um just designed to play with ben simmons as a quote-unquote point guard right that's been so important to him throughout his whole career that i think a lot of these issues could have been resolved fixed whatever if they paid more attention to finding backups or guys who could have been uh, a secondary point guard, like an Alex Caruso type, if you will, someone like that who could have been a sixth man, a secondary ball handler that could have come in in those lineups, like Spencer Dinwiddie type dude in Brooklyn all those years playing alongside D'Angelo. But they were so focused on giving Ben the ball and having him be the point guard and really, really definitely trying to cater um, to build this offense where he was one pole at the bottom at the one and then B was one at the five. And I think if they paid more attention around the edges and, and, and behind Ben at that spot, um, then it might have helped them and paid a lot of dividends too. So I, I think that, you know, whatever the Sixers' failures are as a franchise, and certainly they've had some failures along the way here, um, you can talk about, you know, whether they – didn't build the roster well enough around guys. You can, we can talk about decisions they made on specific players along the way. We can fault them for maybe for not keeping Jimmy Butler. Uh, but it feels like to the extent that Ben Simmons wants out right now, guys, that he feels he's better off somewhere else, that he feels like it's not working enough with Joel Embiid. And by the way, we should mention too, for all the things that Joel Embiid said that that were kind of, you know, in the, ver- in the, the department of throwing Simmons under the bus a little, uh, Embiid also for the majority of, of his uh, comments yesterday was talking about we're really good together. We're actually better with Ben than without him. And you can say it was just political or saying the right things, but like he did say it and there is evidence that they play pretty well together when given the right surrounding cast. But to the extent that Ben Simmons may be, let's just say right on principle, he's not right for holding out by the way, with four years left on his deal and millions and millions owed to him in a contract that he signed. If he's right, that he's better off. Well, elsewhere, how much of this is Ben Simmons' own fault? Because we could talk about the roster construction, but a lot of that is about, well, but Ben Simmons, you you insist on being a point guard when maybe you shouldn't actually be. Maybe you're better off as a secondary playmaker from a different position. You can guard five positions, so why not start at a different position? How much is this, is this on Ben Simmons for insisting on being a point guard, one who can't shoot, which then limits any team he's on, and on Ben Simmons for obvi- the, you know, the obvious, which is, he can't shoot, won't shoot, refuses to shoot, hasn't evolved in his offensive game a- at all. 
in the course of his career. So it, is this really about the Sixers or this is, is this about Ben Simmons? I think it's kind of two separate things, right? So in terms of how, yeah, no, in terms of like the issue of the Sixers plateauing, I actually think that's mostly on Ben Simmons, right? I think that's very fair. Yes, you, you, you have to, I, I wrote a big story about this on Fox Sports, like where I had all the, I threw all the nuance in after the, um, after they were eliminated against the Hawks. And, you know, I'm, I'm plugging in not to just plug it, but I, I get people interested <laughs> in seeing all the nuance and oh, all the background in that. No, thank you. Go on. No, but I appreciate it. It's just like I, there was a lot there. I basically dumped like three years of notebooks, notes and reporting into that base. And the idea being to if you bring it short in it, it's that the first step is to fixing a problem is admitting you have one. He refuses to admit he has a problem. Always has. Right. And that has been the Sixers biggest limitation, I think, and the thing that's kept them back, because like we said, all these other issues. But if Ben Simmons would be willing to adjust his game, admit he needs to tweak his game, his style, his position, whatever, any of it. Uh, the Sixers are in an entirely different position, but that that's how he got here in terms of like, or that's how he got, we'll use Jake's term macro versus micro, right? That's the bigger macro in terms of how we're here today with this holdout and the steering contest. And I don't know how this is going to break. That's where it's different, right? There's like, who's at fault. And there's the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is I, I'm, I'm a bit confused or unsure of what Daryl Morey's plan actually is if you play this out, right? Like, you're going to try to find Simmons into showing up. He's going to show up, be really surly. Like, him and Embiid aren't going to like each other. The teammates, they're all sick of band. You can tell already they're done with this. Um, that This team has to want to compete for a championship. How many more years do we have of Joel Embiid's prime? Like, I'm confused if you play it out on a board what Daryl Morey thinks the step-by-step plan is could be here. And that's where I, I actually find myself thinking that Simmons has more leverage me, like, I'm discuss- I find that I'm in a minority in terms of thinking that Simmons actually has some leverage compared to everyone else saying, no, he doesn't have leverage because he's under contract. So that's in terms of the small picture, how we're here now. But in terms of the big picture and like, why are the Sixers at this place where it looks like, oh man, all these years later and they might never get out of the second round. Um, I think that's entirely fair to put on Simmons. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, your own story really broke down the, the, that, that back and forth you guys had in the locker room about like after yeah, about shooting and stuff like that. I mean, I've had moments like that with him too. I remember um, his first full season. Uh, I went down to Philly for some reason, and then uh, the Lakers were, were playing the, the Sixers that night, and the Lakers came back to New York here two days later. So I kind of followed the Lakers for like 48 hours, and I knew Brandon Ingram a little bit. Um, so I, I did kind of a, like a retrospective two years later on that Ben versus uh, Ingram debate at the top of the 2016 draft. And the intel about Ben and his shooting and his personality quirks has been there back to LSU. There was a story back in uh, around the draft. Um, you know, I've heard it from several people. I, I, I don't know if this is like 100% accurate, but I've heard it from several people that, you know, at the end of that season, they wanted to play in the NIT. They went around the room and asked every single player if, if they did. And they got to Ben and he said no. And this entire team just doesn't go to the NIT because he doesn't want to. And you'd hear stories about from scouts who would be watching him practice or, you know, do some skill work with um, some GA assistant or whatever. And then like the, the cheerleaders or the dance team or some other, you know, not just with like some other team football players would come into the, cause it's a college, right? Like they all share the same practice facilities. And instead of working on his broken jumper, he'd start dunking to show how good he is. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just think, you know, the insistence of the brand and, you know, being the young prince, if you will, and, and trying to um, steer your narrative and, and create your legacy as it's happening rather than just 
get your work done on the court and, and let things occur as they do. Um, I think that's been a thing here for a while. Um, and I, I would be curious to see how he, you know, what position he does play if and when the, the situation gets resolved because the people I've talked to from teams who are interested in him, from, from Minnesota to San Antonio to Sacramento to you know wherever, there's been a general theme that a lot of these teams are interested in using him as a playmaking foreman, as a Draymond Green type, not as a traditional point guard. Um, so I wonder if he does get traded and, view, and, and he is obviously clearly viewing this as you know a potential breath of fresh air and a grass grass is greener situation. I'm I'm curious to see if he'd be willing to be used in that capacity as it seems like a lot of rival executives are viewing him as such. You know, will that point guard Draymond Green type battle continue in his next team too? It's certainly possible. Yeah, and, and it's been clear since the moment he arrived in the league that uh, Ben Simmons viewed himself in a certain way, both in terms of his stature and his stardom and his destiny. And, and being a lefty. And being a lefty. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't know if you need to go down that rabbit hole. Shout out um, Kevin O'Connor. <laughs> every, time, every time that's mentioned, that's like, you know, Pat Riley has this repeat uh, you know, <laughs> trademark. Kevin O'Connor has the uh, Simmons is the wrong hand. But know? Ben wants to be known as a lefty. It's a thing. Like, he, he wants to be known as a lefty versus I, I've actually asked him before. Why don't you want to be considered ambidextrous? Like to me, I think that's great. I'd always want to be ambidextrous. You know, <laughs> like doesn't that doesn't that mean you're better, or more skilled, more dexterous? But no, he wants to be a lefty. It's like, it's interesting. And he insists on being a point guard, um, and, and a primary playmaker, a primary ball handler. And and the argument can very much be made that yeah, he might be better. And this is what's fascinating to me, guys, is that you know, some point sooner than later, there's going to be a trade. He will be on a new team. And it will be the first time that we'll get to see Ben Simmons in a different context without Joel Embiid um, and a team that will now be obligated by virtue of making that deal to build around Ben Simmons. Now, does that mean that that they cater to him and allow him to be the point guard? Does that mean that they are um, just simply surrounding him with shooters wherever he is in the lineup so that uh, his deficiencies as a shooter aren't as big of of a handicap? Um, it's really hard in this league to operate at a high level if you've got two non-shooters on the floor. And if, you know, most teams are going to have a center that at a minimum that doesn't shoot. Um, not everybody uh, can have a Joel Embiid, which Joel Embiid himself conveniently pointed out yesterday in a, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We did see last season Ben Simmons without Joel Embiid. Embiid misses a game at Utah, and Ben Simmons goes for 42 points, 12 assists, and 9 rebounds. And you could look at that and say that that's a, that's a flash, that's a view, a snapshot of what a team built around Ben Simmons could be. Now, we're a long way from that because wherever he goes, they've still got to do all the work to, to build the roster around him. But... Um, on that note, there was a really interesting passage here from Rich Hoffman in The Athletic this morning that I wanted to read. He says, um, Embiid is, is right to wonder what the situation is going to, or what situation is going to be demonstrably better for Simmons, essentially, than the one Simmons already has in Philadelphia. There are other questions he didn't bring up. What team is going to put four shooters on the floor around Simmons that can also hold up defensively in the way the Sixers can? What team is going to employ two credible centers that stretch the floor for Simmons? And how can a player who just came off a playoff series in which he attempted zero shots in the fourth quarter of the final four games be credibly given the keys to an offense a la Giannis Antetokounmpo? Even if that team exists, would it be any good? That's a that's a phenomenal series of questions from Rich Hoffman at The Athletic, and I think all... Rich bringing the fire. Look at that. <laughs> but it, it does speak to, again, whatever the faults of everybody may be in this whole scene, it still comes down to what what is Ben Simmons going to be as a player. And when he moves teams, when he switches teams, will he now allow himself to evolve if the pressure is off? I always say this. I thought this about Fultz, and I've thought this about various guys who were considered quote-unquote busts with the team that drafted them. You go to the next team, it's a different thing. You're no longer the number one pick. You're no longer the franchise star. You're no longer the hope for that franchise. You are, you're just a guy that this new team acquired, and the, the pressure is a little less. Will Ben Simmons maybe be willing to evolve in his next stop? and expand his game and start shooting more and, 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 and re-envision himself and maybe even be willing to give up some control of, of the offense. Guys, have we seen any indication that, that Ben Simmons in a new context might give on those things? No. <laughs> I mean, he thinks he's, uh, I think he and his camp think like, oh, we could be honest. Why can't we be honest, right? Like, why can't we be honest? You build around this get us a Brooke Lopez type or whatever. We'll be honest. Um, Again, I don't, firstly, it's not as good, even like taking out the limitations, even part, right? Giannis is so unique. 
Ben's Ben's not as athletic, not as strong, not as fast, not as big, right? Not as powerful. Like it to be forget not even as good all shooter, the ro- interestingly too. For that too, right? Forget even all the roster building stuff and even the, and the mentality stuff, which is a big part of Giannis too, right? Where he doesn't fear failure and he's not afraid to get fouled and things like that. Um to be I'll say that limited and I'm Giannis is not limited, but let's just say Giannis can shoot right to be, even if you are, if you are considered that limited, you have to be so unique in every other set of skills to make it worthwhile where the team can build around you in a way where it, it, you can still be successful. Ben mm-hmm. is like, instead of being a 10 on all those things, let's say he's an eight. Right. And that, that those little differences make th- those little, like the being a little worse in those situations in each one of those categories that makes a big difference. So he's not that good. He's not that um, I think you could be like a playoff team built around him. Like, let's say the Rockets had done a trade last year for him, right? And then threw some shooters on it around him in the James Harden deal. And they pick up some shooters and they're playing Christian Wood, the five and running up and down. I don't know. That's sure. 44 wins. Why not? Right. But, uh, but to what end? And I think that's the issue. Um, but in terms of any, like, have we've seen anything that, that he would be willing to, again, like admit there are some issues or something, not even issues, some things he needs to adjust. There's been no indication his entire career that he's willing to do that stuff. So, I, and that's not even coming from me. That's coming from people who have worked closely with him. Um, so yeah. I guess you never know when someone's going to grow up or change, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. I mean, what we've seen message publicly in the last couple of days is that, that too, he yeah. wants to go to a situation where he's the number one option on a team. Right. Um, and I think your own broke down a lot of it in that great, story at Fox Sports about, you know, there was a long stretch where his brother was coming to pregame, you know, warmups and they were going through a workout routine. And from my perspective, from my vantage point, they were taking shots that Ben was never going to take in the game 45 minutes later. Um, there's been a lot of uh, talk over the years from people in and around Philadelphia where you know, you'd see all these videos of him kind of very similar to the LSU stuff I was talking about previously, where you see him late night on Instagram with his dogs running around the practice court in Camden, dunking and doing all this stuff and lifting weights and player development coaches and executives have, have openly wondered, you know, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you coming into our facility with us, like helping us grow you, you know, every year, um, you know, you talked about this a little while ago, Howard, how Embiid and Simmons have always kind of been very involved in the Sixers' decision-making. I remember in 2018, um, Josh Harris and Brett Brown kind of had like this back room sit-down with a bunch of media members in uh, the Thomas and Mack Center. It felt like this like smoky poker game. Um, and they were talking about how, you know, it's Team Ben and it's Team Joel, and they had their development plans for these guys to go away with and come back and whatever he's never been receptive to what the Sixers have put, have pushed him to work on. And I don't know if that's going to just all of a sudden he's in a different building with a different staff and that's going to change. I, I think to your own point, he's pretty consistently been strong willed and, and, and um, you know, steadfast in how he wants to work and how he wants to improve. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it, it could be a thing about, um, you know, depending on, the situation where he goes, right? If it's a situation, you know, hypothetically, let's say the Kings start off very poorly and, you know, De'Aaron Fox is someone who I think the Sixers would be happy to get back and, and, and return for him, right? But he's also a player that maybe sit down 10, 50, executive, whatever number you want to use. Their answers are going to be split on if De'Aaron Fox is a potential all-star for similar reasons with Ben, you know, shooting, whatever. 
but this is, again, as a hypothetical situation, let's say Monty McNair, who's got a history working with Daryl in Houston, decides, you know what, screw it. Let's put the air on the table. We'll get Ben. We'll bring him to Sacramento. There's, there's this notion, you know, I don't know if it's verified, but there's this notion he wants to go to California. But in, in this hypothetical fantasy land, like, does he go to Sacramento and, all, and, and now there is a vacuum at, at the guard spot? Sure, there's Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton, but whatever, like, is there an infrastructure in place there? To, to push him to not do as he's done, you know, I don't really see that. So um, I, I'd be, I, I think it's also dependent on the situation he goes to, the infrastructure in place, the executives there versus like if he goes to San Antonio with Greg Popovich and Chip. Yeah, England, I was thinking and, that too. And, and, that would be the and, and, one that would be interesting. <laughs> that's where I like what little NBA fandom I have left in my uh, cynical <laughs> mind. That's like where I'm kind of rooting for him to go because I think for everyone, for the better health of the NBA. Like, I think that's the dynamic that probably has the highest ceiling for him to change his ways. But if he goes to one of these markets where there isn't really a pecking order in place and that alpha dog thing is real in the locker room, it's like a cliche that I thought was a cliche, you know, before I started covering the league, but it is real. You know, I, I don't know if that will change depending on if he gets moved. We did a roundtable at uh, at SI.com. Everybody's plugged their sites today except for for me, the host. So <laughs> Sports Illustrated, wonderful magazine and website. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, what we did is a round- this magazine thing you meant? Yeah, what, what is to, to go off your own? What is well, these, Sports Illustrated? <laughs> these, words, these words we type, you put them on paper, you see, and then use like some staples um, is the way I understand it. So we did a roundtable online a, a, a week or so ago. And it was about, you know, where do you, where do you want to see Ben Simmons? Where should, and, and, and this, this is like, you know, throw all the trade stuff out the window, the trade machine and salary matching everything. I don't know how I get him to San Antonio, but that was my, my answer too, Jake. I'd like to see him in San Antonio for all kinds of reasons. The structure of that organization, you know that he'll be held accountable. Um, it, the smaller market, I think, would actually be conducive to him being able to work on certain things without as much scrutiny, without that searing spotlight. Philly's tough. Um it's not that they don't like San Antonio is like incredibly passionate, obviously, and very invested in the Spurs. But I think he would have more room to evolve without the day to day. Are you going to shoot now? What about now? What about now? Pop will shut all that down anyway. Um, and also, yes, Chip England, <laughs> one of the legendary shooting coaches in this league. Maybe he's the answer to unlocking Ben Simmons's game, the rest of his, his game in terms of the shooting part. And also Ben Simmons kind of fits in that Tim Duncan mold of kind of like quieter franchise star right the guy who doesn't not real demonstrative not real chatty um i don't know a lot about it just feels like it would fit i don't know what ultimately well, happens pay, he gets there but i would pay to hear the um phone call between brett brown and greg popovich though in terms of that <laughs> trade i would too if no if for no other reason than just to hear brett brown's uh, voice <laughs> and that great accent again exactly um but brett's also yeah. i mean but brett's an important element there too being that i mean I'm going to probably write about this at some point. I don't want to spoil too much, but he's a name that gets often rumored as a potential pop replacement too. And I, and, and your might know us better than me, but I think, you know, throughout the Jimmy stuff, whatever, like I still think Ben and Brett have a pretty strong relationship through their Australian ties. And I, I think if there's any cocoon that can take him in and nurture him back, you know, I, I think it is San Antonio with some influence of, of Brett Brown. Yeah. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. 
the Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. It, it does always come back to, though, I feel like every point we've hit today still comes back to, but Ben Simmons has to evolve. And so that's what's interesting here. Again, you know, we play this blame game on NBA Twitter and in the NBA media sphere. Who's at fault for this mess that's going on in Philly? Is, you know, is it a go way back to Hinky? Is it about the process? Is it about Daryl just not valuing people? Is it about Doc Rivers and the comments he made or Joel Embiid and the comments he made? Is it about ownership over-empowering Embiid and Simmons to the point where neither of those guys, it feels like, were held accountable very often during their time in Philly, which I, I think is a fair point, too. Um, but I think this is a basketball matter. This always still comes back to what's Ben Simmons going to do about Ben Simmons, wherever he is. And the fact is, if he stayed... If he, if he had listened to their pleas this week and said, you know what, that's fine. I still want to be traded, but I'm going to come back in the meantime and play and fulfill my commitment to the contract and to the team and to my teammates, um, they'd, be, they'd be really good because <laughs> they were already really good. Like, I under, like, we've all talked about were these guys ultimately going to have to be split up as a basketball matter? That's been going on for years already. Mm-hmm. But even within the context of that conversation, there's an acknowledgement that Maybe there's a ceiling, but that ceiling was already pretty high. Um, this is a team that maybe with a break or two could have been in the finals by now. So it's not like it was, uh, you know, unfixable or, or or dysfunctional. Like those guys could achieve at a high level together. They have. So it ultimately just comes down to the fact that Ben Simmons would just rather be somewhere else for reasons that we are not completely clear on because Ben Simmons himself has not articulated them and everything has come out via anonymous sourcing. And so... Um, it's interesting that way. Um, 
I want to let's let's focus on Simmons for or on um, Embiid for a second because we've we've almost maybe let him off the hook. Uh, David Thorpe, the coach uh, who writes for True Hoop uh, and obviously formerly of ESPN, he was on the rights to Ricky Sanchez pod, great Sixer uh, fan pod as, as or Sixers pod as you guys know. Um, Thorpe said this the other day: "Quote: If you think Embiid is some kind of great teammate, congratulations. We don't agree. I don't think he's the <laughs> worst teammate ever." Having had 80-some players in the NBA, meaning guys that, that Thorpe has worked with, I have a little insight into how different superstars can be. I would rank him very low so far, meaning as a, as a, a leader, I think, and as a teammate. Uh, he's also young and very full of himself. Um, he's allowed to grow up, and I'm the first to say that. So, so, But Thorpe put, is putting a lot on Joel Embiid here for not having been a, a, a great teammate. How much is Embiid responsible for where things are with regard to Simmons and this team as a whole? Um. With regard, I'll say I don't think Joel Embiid is a leader, right? And I go that's kind of getting to cliche territory there and all that stuff. But like, if we're admitting these are cliches and these are all kind of vague things, but like, <laughs> if you think on the spectrum of Damian Lillard, I guess pretty this stuff, but right, we all agreed and everyone in the NBA world. And if you talk to people around Portland, they'll give you examples of how Damian Lillard is a leader, how a superstar can be the guy who can actually elevate a franchise, right? Whether it's helping rookies or empowering people. Um, being critical when needed, but also uplifting, right? All this kind of stuff. Um, Joel Embiid is not that. He's never been that. Um, I'll say that. Um, the other part, though, and, and, but part of that, I think, is also based on his personality. He's an introvert. And I know I always get pushed back on this because nobody wants to hear it because he's funny on social media. But Joel Embiid's an introvert. And I think the social media thing, it's actually, if you think of it like a millennial, right? That's very, that, that, <laughs> that age is, you know, you're funny on social media, but when it comes to dealing with somebody in person, or talk, engaging with someone one-on-one or having a serious conversation with somebody, um, it just doesn't happen. So like, you know, I, Jake, you probably got to ask this too. I, I've gotten asked so many times, especially when I was doing the book tour, you know, the relationship between Ben and Joel, Ben and Joel. And I always say that like, I think both sides had it wrong, right? There's no, as far as I know, and I've asked, there's never been a blow up, right? There's never been like bleep you, bleep you, I, none of that. Right. None of that. Yeah. I think part of that is because they're both passive aggressive and they're both introverts and that's just not their personalities. So maybe they would have been better off from like, you know, a Jimmy Butler style blow up if they just had everything out there. And you're kind of seeing this stuff trickle out now, whether it's an anonymous source from Simmons and then Embiid in a press conference deciding whether to go at Simmons or not or making fun of the videos and media day. Right. How we've all seen the videos and they probably would have been better off had the two of them and Brett Brown. For all the things he didn't do well, he I believe he did try um, sitting them down, kind of having these open conversations. But the two of them had never clashed. I always say, like, they weren't best friends. They didn't necessarily get along, but there weren't major blowups either. And that's part of the issue. And maybe as a leader, that is on Embiid, right? And if it beats the guy sensing that, hey, this is my partner, and I need to make sure I'm on the same page with him, both on the court, off the court, mentally, emotionally, all of it. And he's Ben's not going to do it. I should take it upon myself to have that sort of conversation. Um, I think you could be critical of that. I also go back to, I think that's where Jimmy Butler played an interesting role with the Sixers is that he was willing to be the guy to be loud and kind of round everyone up and be the leader. Um, and he was that him and JJ Redick were two of those guys when they were there. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I, I guess they want to give blame. I mean, I don't know. The blame thing's weird. Right. Um, and it's weird to blame Joel Embiid who's, been probably the best thing about not probably he's been the best thing about the Sixers for how many years now in terms of just he's unbelievable there's no arguing when he's at his best he's you can say he's the best player if you were to say do or die game and you say everyone's at their best you would not be crazy if you said Joel Embiid's the guy I'm taking number one overall in the NBA right you can make that argument easily um so he's that good but I do think he's lacking in sort of the uh, leadership department at times 
Yeah, the, the double introvert uh, concept you mentioned was something I was going to hit on. I, I think, you know, Ben gets a bad rep for being an asshole. And I think, um, you know, what it actually is is that he just doesn't care to go out of his way to connect with people. And I think, um, you know, that, that some people could view that as an asshole. Other people could view that as like, I'm just here to go to work and go home and like, whatever. Um, and Bede, I think, has kind of masked his introvertness with the jokes, with the, the colloquial big jolly big guy, like your own has been saying. But I think what underscores all of this is that it's something I try to be mindful of every day when I make calls in, in my reporting process. It's just like, these are people at the end of the day. And we talk about, you know, Ben growing his skills or whatever and, and needing to evolve. Like we all need to evolve, right? No person is um, going to is going to be better in their relationship, their work, whatever, if they just remain steadfast and static in who they are and their approach to things. And I think Embiid has been um, in terms of like as a teammate, right? Like, you're right. You, we haven't heard many. I, I'm not saying he's a bad leader, but you haven't heard stories about him, you know, organizing a, a mini camp in the off season or buying teammates, you know, dinner or gifts or whatever. Um, I think he's been a lead by example type. You know, you've heard since he was a rookie and then an injured rookie and then rehabbing and not rehabbing all these, you know, stories and folk tale type stories about how he works with player development coaches and picks up a move and three tries that takes, you know, other players three weeks to learn. And, you know, he was a worker and, a, and just has an unsatiable appetite for digestive film and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think maybe he hasn't recognized that just doing the work and, and, and being that you know, committed to the craft and whatever, sometimes to be, you know, a franchise star and, and, and the glue, the alpha in the room, like you got to do a little bit more than just work hard and be good. Um, and, but, but, but to your own point, you're right. I, I don't think it's been like contentious. I think there's been just the natural tension of how their games don't necessarily overlap, um, overlap, um, you know, perfectly. Um, and, you know, I, I think if, if you were in a relationship outside of basketball, romantic, personal, whatever, um, business, whatever, and you, and you recognize you had a little bit of the difference with the person you were very close contact with. Like, yeah, I think anyone would benefit from addressing it and talking and trying to grow it out. But it doesn't sound like they ever either side really has. It sounds like they've just kind of coexisted and, um, you know, haven't really made concerted, like active efforts to make it a better situation. A couple of things. So one, a good example I would give is the um, it's a silly one, but when, when Embiid, the Shake Milton, when Embiid started chewing out Shake Milton in the first game of the bubble, right? Which and maybe there was a background we didn't miss there, but that was I think it was literally game one of the bubble, right? But Shake Milton was playing point guard, and I forget they were down by a lot, and Embiid just starts maybe Shake missed a defensive assignment or something, but Embiid starts screaming at him, right? And I there could be background there, and we're not aware of, but just little examples, <laughs> little examples like that. The other thing is Embiid's taken his so. He's taken a fair share of shots passive aggressively um, in media that don't always necessarily get fully picked up or played out where even before, like this happens a lot, you know, Embiid will usually, or not, it depends who talks first, right? But sometimes one of them, they'll take passive aggressive shots and Embiid will go at him, you know, everyone needs to expand their games or things like that, as opposed to, again, just having a conversation with Ben. The other thing I'll say is I do, someone, there was, um, when Ben first got into the NBA, I forget the year, I'm going to mess up the exact year, but early on, there was like Embiid's camp did approach Simmons's camp and say like, we should get these two together, get them working more. And it was sort of, um, 
I'm not gonna say it was rebuffed, but the answer was sort of, um, hey, they'll let it come naturally. Don't worry. Like it's we're too early to worry about an issue here. Um, and it's little things like that where you wonder where um, if you know this had been nipped in the bud early on, whether things would be different. Right, but this is also not Shaq versus Kobe, as you guys point out. It's not Correct. like these guys ever wanted to kill each other or the threats, or like they don't hate each other to, to our knowledge. It's more of just there's kind of this 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 um, just divide. There's just a there's just a chasm between them, and and it probably doesn't matter. Again, they've won at a high level and could continue winning at a high level or even a higher level, um, depending on things like roster construction and whether Ben Simmons would evolve his game. So it's it's not even like. I, there are times when there feels like a Simmons versus Embiid thing, but I don't really feel like that's the crux of all this. I should point out too, um, because there is a, there is an organizational responsibility here also. If not for the winning, which is a big thing to put aside, we would, we would have been talking about this as one of the most dysfunctional franchises in the league up there with the Kings and the Knicks and whoever else you want to throw in there. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves, another one. Sam Hinkie spent three years at, at, as head of the front office He's thrown overboard for Brian Colangelo, who spends two years there. Then we have this weird moment of it's Elton Brand, but it's Elton Brand and Brett Brown, and it's this power sharing, and there's like all these voices, and we don't really know who's in charge. Then it becomes it's Elton Brand for two years, and then it's Daryl Morey, but Elton is still there. Like for the last, you know, five, six years, they've had they've had a lot of turnover and just ambiguity and just general weirdness with their front office. That counts for something too, and plays some you know, background role in this, I think. A, a lack of consistency, a lack of clear authority, uh, and a changing of voices all the time. Doesn't help. Uh, yeah. so, which leads me to this question. Let me actually back up for a second. Well, we'll, we'll go with this question. That leads me to this question, and maybe this is just a rhetorical question. The more I read this week, the more I start to think, eh, is the clock ticking on Joel Embiid too? I don't, I'm not, not even talking about contractually. I'm not saying he wants out. I'm not saying he should want out. Anything. But at a certain point, you know, all this buildup, all this, like, whatever you get for Ben Simmons, we don't know what they're going to get back yet or whether they'll still be a contender when they do. So maybe we'll end on this one because I know Jake needs to get out of here soon. Um, should we think about the clock maybe ticking on Embiid as well, depending on how they resolve the Ben Simmons situation? In terms of wanting to get out of Philly, you mean? Yeah. Or, or yeah, like I, the, like his his patience will will stop, you know, will end at some point too, right? I, I yeah, I don't think so. I think this, they are very, I think, the Sixers are become more so like this is Joel Embiid's team. One, it's the Daryl Morey blueprint. You know, James Harden and Daryl Morey are basically partners. Um, I think Embiid has taken that role where he's basically an executive. Um, never mind that he's super close to Michael Rubin, who's a minority owner. Like it just Embiid, Embiid is management, right? Like I think he's basically management at this point. Um, I mean, again, you never know, right? You never know what's going to happen, who can what do what, and who can push for what. But I think. You joke. I mean, Daryl Morey and Joel Embiid are playing tennis together in the summer, right? Which is, sounds funny, but like, I, I just think that this is they're very much in line here, and that is not going to be the issue. I think the better, not the better question. The question I have is, and this plays into the idea of what's Daryl Morey going to do is not his his time taking in terms of wanting out, but how many more healthy in his prime. This guy is a superstar at his best, championship caliber, uh, best player on a championship team level guy. How many more years do you have of that? Do you have left of that? And how should that influence how urgent you, how urgently you approach this Ben Simmons situation, right? And are you willing to punt a yeah. half a year of chaos in terms of that? Daryl Morey, and you can argue, he didn't trade for Kyle Lowry last year, which I think was a mistake and it's sort of a violation of his whole 
well, was, is that with the Daryl Morey principle, right? If you have a 5% chance to go 100% in or whatever, and you can argue about how much they were required to give up. But if you go based on that principle, if they, you do that trade, and if they have Kyle Lowry last year, they might have won a championship, right? So he one year did that. Is he willing to punt another year in terms of chaos? And all of a sudden, then you're Daryl Morey, and you've wasted two years of Joel Embiid's prime. To me, that is a question that I'm kind of curious about. In terms of Joel Embiid wanting out of Philly, I would be very surprised if we see that anytime soon. Jake, you get the last word here since uh, you have to go, and uh, it's about I, that I time. can stay as long as you want. <laughs> yeah, you guys can keep going out. No, I think your own point about the prime and, and his health and, and how long this is real was my was what I was going to say as well. I think, you know, going back to the Al Horford dynamic, I think that was a big part of the calculus behind signing him, too. I think there were members of that front office, of that ownership group, who weren't sure if they could trust in Bede's health, and they wanted a backup plan. And also, you know, it didn't hurt taking the guy who defended and be the best in the Eastern Conference and putting him on your team, too. Um, but, yeah, I think that's underscored this whole dynamic as well, where they're trying to maximize his prime. I mean, clearly, a couple injuries, whatever, you know, bounce of the ball, whatever. He was the MVP last year in certain people's eyes, right? Like, that's someone you're trying to maximize, especially considering that he's on this mammoth contract that is loaded with injury provisions, being that he's been loaded with injury provisions himself, right? So, I think, yeah, I think that the time, you know, ticking on this, this, this era of Embiid being the guy in Philly, I think is more so about, you know, I think if you inject true serum into anybody around that organization, they'll tell you that they don't really know how long this is going to last. It feels like a great marriage. It feels like a honeymoon phase. And now we've gotten to the the standing where Embiid's a, a top five, top seven, you know, unquestioned player in this league in the world and like how long will we have this and if it's and if it's not forever which no one's forever right like not even lebron maybe lebron but um you know there's there's going to be an end to him being at the peak of his powers and it would be a shame to waste it um with someone like ben um who can't maximize him um but also it'd be a shame to waste it with this saga continuing and I really do think there's a possibility to give a, a last word. Like I do think it's a possibility this thing drags out all season long for the trade deadline, whatever, because you talk to anybody who's worked with Daryl in the past, who's worked with Daryl, you know, in Philadelphia, no one I've spoken to believes he's going to cave. doesn't sound like clutch and rich Paul is going to cave. And until there's some change in, in context and, and a greater offer is made, I'm personally prepared for this to stretch on, you know, into 2022 and and, and beyond. If, you know, the Sixers and Daryl Moore haven't gotten an offer back that they deem is acceptable. And I would just say this is a final word for me. I, I don't think Daryl should make a trade until he gets the, the the deal that he needs to get because Ben Simmons is at his best a top 15 player in this league, an all-NBA player. He's a special talent, and he will probably be better in the next place that he goes. So the last thing you want to do is squander that. And the last thing we know, you know, the, the last thing Daryl Morey would ever do, is, if I remember everything we know of him, is he would never squander a quote-unquote asset, a great talent. So I don't think he will. Um, I, I agree. I think this could very well drag out. And everybody loses. The Sixers uh, don't have their, their second-best player on the court. Ben Simmons is going to be losing millions and millions of dollars, uh, not to mention a lot of, I, I just think, respect around the league. Um, no one's winning right now. Everybody's losing, um, which is sad. Uh <laughs> And on so many levels. Uh, we could go on for a long time here, but uh, Jake's yeah. got a train to catch. Uh, <laughs> Jake, your own. Appreciate uh, all the insights from both of you guys. Folks, go check out their work. Jake Fisher at Bleacher Report. Your own at Fox Sports. And go buy their books. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, man. 
Thanks, Howard. See you on same time next week. Same time next week. We do <laughs> round two. I'm ready for it. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Yaron Weitzman and Jake Fisher. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And go subscribe to the Sports Illustrated Podcast channel on YouTube. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter at Howard Beck. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 